It is great to be with you. I have to say, in this new year, um, I'm honored to be with you while Pastor Paul is on sabbatical. And as a pastor myself, I have had two opportunities to be on a sabbatical. And uh, it's a great honor to be able to do that as a pastor and come back um, with a different perspective and having um, been able maybe to be restored or whatever it is. And I also pray for Pastor Paul in that way. I am Bill, and I've always been Bill. And if I'm not Bill, I ignore the people that don't call me Bill. Not in a bad way. I have a fun fact. How many of you like fun facts? There are some of you. That's good. I'm going to say it anyway. Eight years ago, and some of you remember this, in 2014, while your leadership team was searching for a new pastor, I was invited to be one of the guest speakers during that season. And between March and September of that year, I spoke here 10 times. The fun fact is that over the next three months, I will be speaking again 10 times. I just thought that was kind of cool. And the thing about it is, those weeks go by really, really quick. Several things have changed since 2014. Should I back up a little bit? Those of you who know. Several things have changed since 2014. First of all, I'm not in my early 50s anymore. I suffer from what is called a bunch of rabbits running backwards. Do you know what that is? A bunch of rabbits running backwards? That's a receding hairline. true. My sweet spot is doing intentional transition ministry. And Juan and I have been blessed with four grandchildren that we love dearly. And yes, I still have a bad sense of humor, or a good sense, depending on your perspective. This morning, we're going to be looking at part one of Jesus and the Upside Down Kingdom. But before we begin, I'm going to read the text, and I'm going to pray, and we're going to do a quick review of some of the themes from Luke 12 that you have learned um, before the Christmas season. Um, and it's not necessarily going to be a test. So let me read from Luke chapter 13, verses 1 to 9. About this time, Jesus was informed that Pilate had murdered some people from Galilee as they were offering sacrifices in the temple. Do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other people from Galilee, Jesus asked? Is that why they suffered? Not at all. And you will perish too unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. And what about the 18 people who, uh, who died when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Were they worse sinners in Jerusalem? No. And I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. Then Jesus told this story. A man planted a fig tree in his garden and came again and again to see if there was any fruit on it, but he was always disappointed. Finally, he said to his gardener, I've waited three years and there hasn't been a single fig cut down. It's just taking up space in our garden. The gardener answered, Sir, give it one more chance, leave it for another year, and I'll give it special attention and plenty of fertilizer. And if we get figs next year, fine. And if not, you can cut it down. 
Jesus, I thank you that you always are still a speaking God. And I pray this morning, God, by your spirit, that you would speak into our lives and that we would have hearts and minds attentive to hear your speaking voice to us today. Thank you for your presence. Uh, we just look to you, God, this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, a quick walkthrough of Luke 12. You will very quickly see that Luke is talking about life and how you handle it and where it will take you based solely on your decisions. Verses 4 to 5 says, Do not be afraid of those who kill the body. Fear the one who has authority to cast into hell. Note that you are able not to be afraid. You have the capacity, God putting it into you, that you don't have to be afraid. Verses 6 and 7 say, As God cares for the sparrows, but you are, are of much more value than sparrows to God. Interesting comparison. We have a, a couple, an elderly couple that walks around our neighborhood in Hespeler in Cambridge, and they're parrot lovers. And they have with them a, a modified shopping cart, and in the middle of the shopping cart is a great big cage with a big old bird in it, a great big old parrot. Another one sits on the front, kind of on a little rail, and they walk and they walk all over the place with these birds. And the last one is always on the man's shoulder. Now, I suspect that they really love these birds. And in some cases, as I know people, we start to see our pets as family. Somebody suggested that I have, because my, one of our family members has a dog that, that that's my grand dog. I'm quick to tell them I don't have any grand dogs. I only have grandchildren. The next verse in verse 15 says, Be on your guard against greed. Even with abundance, your life does not consist of your possessions. One author says Jesus talked a lot about money because he knew of our propensity to fall in love with it, to worship it, to find security in it. And of course, Hebrews 13.5 gives us this warning. Keep yourselves free from the love of money. Be content with what you have, because God has said, Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. It's so easy to lose our loyalty and focus on Jesus and his care for us with the things that we value otherwise, like money and possessions. Verses 22 and 23 says, Do not be anxious for your life, what you eat or what you wear. Life is more than food and clothes. Again, we are told here that we are able not to be anxious. Verses 24 and following says this, If God looks after the birds and makes them beautiful, how much more will he clothe you, people of little faith? I don't like the thought about the varying degrees of faith, little faith, large faith. The reality Jesus is trying to teach us to trust him with everything. Verse 25, this is a fun one for me. It is impossible for you to add a single minute to the length of your life, is my paraphrase. 
It's impossible for you to add a single minute to the length of your life. Wouldn't you know how surprised I was when I started seeing uh, a new store? Maybe it's been out longer than I know of, but uh, the, the name of the store is Forever 21. And every time I walk by the store, see the store, I just laugh. The people that are going into that store believing that if they buy some of that apparel, something's going to rub off on them or something. I don't know. But Forever 21. I'm not 21 anymore. I'm very aware of that fact. I met a, I didn't meet a lady. I was, uh, I saw a lady not too long ago, and she's not 21 anymore. I suspect she's around my age. And when I first glanced at her, I didn't catch it, but then, then we got close enough. I saw her, and she had done everything that she could with her face to look 21 right up to the chin and then you knew she wasn't 21 anymore <laughs> it is impossible I, I didn't research it but if I'd research it it would be in the millions if not billions of dollars in North America the amount of money that's spent on making us look beautiful rare is the person that I find that's natural that doesn't want or need anything else to be different. Verses 29 to 34, stop worrying. God knows what you need. Again, you are able not to worry. Some of these things we really need to hear and pay attention to. Stop worrying means you're worrying already. Seek his kingdom and you will have all that you need. Your father has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, we read, In Jesus we have an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade, kept in heaven for you. There's a shift in priority from what's on planet Earth and what's going to be reserved for you in God's good heaven. Matthew 6, 21, Jesus said to the disciples, Where your treasure is, there will your what? heart be also. I know way too many people that the treasures that they're looking at that have captured their heart are things. Things that will, they, they've got to manage and maintain and fix or replace with something bigger or better. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Phil Calloway noted as a humorist says, our possessions are a trust from God. What we clutch tightly, we lose. What we place in his hands, you will we will possess for eternity. Oh, how hard it is to open the fist and to let it go. It's so easy to want to cling and to hold, and I am like that to a degree. I might use that someday. Why are you not getting rid of that? I usually have reasons why, and I realize as I speak them to my wife that they're not very good reasons, so I try to come up with better reasons, and I end up getting rid of stuff because she's right. She may not watch this sermon, so I'll be okay. <laughs> Luke twelve forty to 41, be a faithful steward of what God has given you, and be prepared for his return. 
Be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. I know people who have a good idea of when the hour is. And I know they're not right. (laughs) They will suggest that Jesus is coming back, which I embrace. But when we start talking about months and weeks and days, there's a problem. Be ready, be faithful, is what we're learning. Now let's shift our focus to the upside-down kingdom. Jesus and the upside-down kingdom. The upside-down kingdom of God that Jesus initiates and sustains is very different from the world that you and I live in. The upside-down kingdom of Jesus is countercultural. It is not politically correct. It goes against the grain. It usually invades our sense of comfort and ease. It pokes us. And it messes with our more traditional thinking. In Jesus' upside-down kingdom, his way of living often goes against common sense even. It can seem illogical. It refuses to settle for the status quo. It's actually perceived as a threat because its values and guiding principles are so radically different from those of Jesus and of society around us. The upside-down kingdom is characterized by a radical love that is meant to permeate everything that we are as followers of Jesus and everything that we do. People should see in us our values, what's important to us, and they do. They watch. They know what is most important to you. The big idea today is that we become part of the kingdom of God through repentance, which is a word that we do not like to sing about and to talk about. But it results in forgiveness, which is a gift of God's grace. I don't know about you, but I love God's grace. I love forgiveness. It is so beautiful and so precious to feel the expression of forgiveness offered to you by someone that you've wounded. I am a professional, um, I am a pre- professional repenter to my children and to my, not to my grandchildren yet. That's not necessary. But I am good at apologies because I know that I can't hide it and I can't excuse it. So to be forgiven by someone that you love is a beautiful thing. It's a powerful thing. Forgiveness is significant. It's a gift of God's grace, but it comes through repentance. The love that characterizes Jesus' upside-down kingdom is a self-giving love. Self-giving. A sacrificial love, and it's aimed always not in a mirror to you, but to people around you. That's what God gives us. All the things that he gives us for is to be a rich blessing to other people. Jesus himself said, Let love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and what? Love your neighbor as yourself. Not as you like to love them. Some of us only want to get to like them. <laughs> But Jesus says, love them just like you would love yourself. Treat them like you do to yourself. He said these were the two most important commands in the entire Bible. The radical love that is at the heart of Jesus' upside-down kingdom is this kind of love that gets the eyes off of ourselves and onto other people 
because of the compassion that he puts into our heart for other broken people. And I suspect we can relate to that. I have a brief but true story about Upside Down that I want to tell you, and it isn't funny. In fact, it has a lot in common with um, Jesus and the Upside Down Kingdom. True story. Several years ago, a pilot was practicing high-speed maneuvers in a fighter jet. She turned the controls for what she thought was a steep ascent into the sky and flew straight into the ground. Straight into the ground. She was unaware that she had been flying upside down. I've watched enough fighter jets on TV and in reality to know that they move around so quick it would be very easy to become disoriented. And that's what happened to this lady pilot. Dallas Willard, who mentioned this story in his book, The Divine Conspiracy, comments on the tragedy and suggests that this is a parable of human existence in our times. Not exactly that everyone is crashing, though there is enough of that, but most of us as individuals and world society as a whole live at high speed and often with no clue whether we are flying upside down or right side up. And I don't think that we stop enough to ask where we are. What is the perspective? Let's transition to Luke 13. And we're going to spend the rest of our uh, time there. I have entitled this piece, uh, Not Better or Worse, But Forgiven. Not Better or Worse, But Forgiven. The three first verses in this narrative suggests that greater sinners suffer a harsher fate than lesser sinners. Now, how do, I don't know how you categorize that, but apparently that we have in our minds and heads that it's just kind of stuck there that if you do certain things, you're a whole lot worse than somebody else that's doing this thing over here. We take something and we label someone because of what they do, and we think we're better than them because of what they do. And it's the, it's the whole speck in your eye, log in the other person's eye, and realizing it's backwards, that we're just judgmental about other people. Jesus' response is, as I read earlier, not at all. You will all perish unless you repent of your sins and turn to God. Not to your uncle who agrees with you, not to some other one that just makes it life simple for you, but to the only one that can really change you and turn you around. He says, I tell you again that unless you repent, you will perish too. And then Jesus tells this parable about the unproductive fig tree. I remember as a kid absolutely loving fig newtons. Now, if you would have told me that they were figs, <laughs> I probably wouldn't have eaten them. But as Fig Newtons, they had enough wrapper around them with all the other stuff that they tasted really good. And the dilemma in this picture is the fact that this was an unproductive plant, an unproductive tree. And while the owner wants to cut the tree down, the vineyard keeper convinces him to give it another season, give it a, just give it more time, to see if it will produce fruit before it faces judgment. The parallel is seen in God's gracious patience with us. He is so patient toward us. 
He extends numerous second chances to produce the fruit of godly lives in us before we are judged. I don't know about you, but I know that God is a forgiving God, and God gives second chances and third chances and fourth chances. I can't remember the number that I'm on now, but what would we do if it wasn't for the grace of God and his patience toward us? It keeps us in a humble state before God. One of the ways God, God has me in that place is as, a, as a, very much an introvert who would rather sit in the back row, hold a microphone and speak to you. I couldn't figure, I mean, in Bible college when I discovered that if I kept on the course that I was going, I would have to stand up in front of people and talk. So I promptly went to the registrar and said, I would like to change my program, move it down to a lesser program, and I quit Bible college after that season was done. Every time I would go to church, the pastor would get up, and as soon as he would start walking on the stage, God would poke me and say, you're supposed to be doing that. And every Sunday, for a year and a half while I framed houses, every Sunday I'd go to church, and God would poke me. That's what I want you to do every Sunday. So finally, one day, I go to my boss, who was a a practicing Catholic, and he was very faithful to the church and just an impeccable person to work for, privileged to work for him. And I said to him one day, Frank, I'm going back to Bible college. And Frank said, Bill, you need to stay with me and build houses. He says, Jesus was a carpenter. I said, Jesus left the carpentry business and got into ministry, so I got to go back to Bible college. (laughs) And I did, and I aced courses that I never would have imagined that I aced. But God was saying something about what, what was really important. And God was patient with me. Second Peter 3, 9 says, The Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, he is being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent In other words, have a restored relationship with the God who created you. Another illustration of upside-down living. One author said this, I travel with a man who just sold one of his smaller companies for $1.7 billion. That's a smaller company. He has five corporate jets at his disposal and more amenities than I can imagine in a lifetime. And during a very frank discussion, I asked him this question. You've got everything, but what are you missing? He didn't think about it long. I wish my boy would get right with God and get right with me, he said. And then he said these words. I sold myself and lost my son. Now that is upside down living. I sold myself and lost my son. The author says, I asked that question several months back and hardly a day goes by when I have not thought about his answer. What am I losing because of this pursuit over here that really in the big picture doesn't mean anything compared to what's most important in my life, which are my family? What we all have in common is that we live in a world that has increasingly divergent ethics and values and convictions and even attitudes related to what's right and wrong, what's acceptable and not, between what is good and bad or just plain evil. The prophet Isaiah writes this in 
Isaiah 5, verse 20. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, who substitute darkness for light and light for darkness, who substitute bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. Jesus enters a world where, as the Bible says, all the people did what was right in their own eyes. I think this is a fair summation of our, our culture these days. We make up any reason we want to do whatever we want, and nobody can say, say anything to us because I have my rights, I have my own opinions, and all of that stuff. But Jesus provides an alternative. He provides an upside-down kingdom that focuses on what is good and right and honorable and respectful, helpful, encouraging, all of it stemming from his radical kingdom love, the love that says you will see other people's needs and demonstrate the love of Christ through you. To love Jesus is to follow Jesus. It's the pinnacle of the upside-down kingdom. To be motivated by love means and implies that we love Jesus and we follow Jesus. In Luke 9, chapter 23, Jesus said these words to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. That's upside down. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it, which is also upside down. What, you do, what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost or destroyed? Of course, the rhetorical question is answered by absolutely nothing because everything of value now is gone. So note that this word follow means yielding, surrendering, giving up my right to myself, uh, my purpose for God's, my will for God's will. It is surrendering all that I have to receive more than I could ever hope to attain on my own. And I, like you, have struggled over the years to get beyond the place where I think I know what's best for me. There's someone that knows me better than I know myself, and he's the one that I go to when I start making crazy decisions thinking I have it fixed. It's about ordering our priorities and our values and very life around those of Jesus, not the ones that we made up. Now, here's a snapshot of Jesus' upside-down kingdom of love. And you're familiar with a lot of these things, and, and a lot of them are things, that, again, we don't really like to hear or find it hard to believe, but they're true. God teaches us that it is the last who will be first, that the least will be the greatest. It is the servant who is the leader. It is the weak who are strong. It is the humble who will be exalted. It is the poor who are really rich. I have encountered people on the side of the road where I've done something for and just watched one little piece of compassion change a person's face and how he looked and how he walked and everything. It's the poor that are rich because they have nothing so they can have everything from God. It is in the midst of suffering that we discover real joy. 
And it's in the midst of pain that we develop a heart of praise. We would never know praise if we weren't hurting and in pain and in trouble. We wouldn't know grace if we went through circumstances that were the total opposite. And it is here that we discover something truly radical about Jesus and the upside-down kingdom. We come to discover as we follow Jesus and live according to his way that it is actually the kingdom of this world that has it upside down. Jesus' kingdom is actually the right-side-up kingdom. Jesus came to restore what was lost and broken in the world, a kingdom of love that doesn't let violence and hatred be the last word. In the last, I would say, two months at home, in our local news, at least twice a week we hear of another shooting in KW region, um, and it just, it just seems everywhere, everywhere. And everything is escalating. Everything seems to be getting darker. And God comes to that place to intersect with that and do something about it through us. I want to close with one final illustration. And it's a contrast between the upside-down kingdom of the world with its hatred and violence and of the right-side-up kingdom of those who believe in love and grace and peace and forgiveness. So you're going to watch a video clip here that... You're going to see a conversation between a father and his young son about the implications of the terrorist tracks, attacks in France five years ago, in the fall of 2015, sorry, where a lot of people lost their lives. And I want you to pay attention, listen certainly to this, the father and his son speaking in French, but pay attention to the, to the subtitles. Parisians are still struggling to cope with the horrors of last Friday's attacks. And as an atmosphere of grief has overcome the city, parents are having to talk to their young children about these senseless acts. One such conversation has gone viral on social media. Little boy speaking with his father and a reporter about what happened. Tu comprends ce qui s'est passé? Tu comprends pourquoi ces gens ils ont fait ça? Oui, parce qu'ils sont très 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 méchants. Les méchants, c'est pas très gentil les méchants. Et il faut faire vraiment attention parce qu'il faut, il faut changer de maison. Mais non, t'inquiète pas. On n'a pas besoin de changer de maison. C'est la France, notre maison. Mais il y a des méchants, papa. Oui, mais il y a des méchants partout. Il y a des méchants partout. Ils ont les pistolets, ils peuvent nous tirer dessus parce qu'ils sont très très méchants, papa. Oui. C'est pas grave, ils ont des pistolets, nous on a des fleurs. Bah, les fleurs, ça fait rien, c'est pour... C'est pour... C'est pour... Euh... Si, regarde, tu vois, tout le monde pose des fleurs. Oui. C'est pour combattre les pistolets. C'est pour... C'est pour protéger. Voilà. Et les bougies aussi. C'est pour ne pas oublier les gens qui, se, qui sont partis. Hein. C'est pour nous protéger les fleurs et les bougies. Ça va mieux du coup Oui, ça va mieux. Did you see the upside down kingdom there? Such a radical difference between the violence of terrorists and a father's response to his young impressionable child. Love beats hate. Peace trumps violence. 
Flowers and candles are more powerful than guns and bullets. For a follower of Jesus, flowers represent the fragrance of Christ. Candles represent Jesus as the light of the world. And Jesus came to take the upside-down kingdom of the world and to turn it right side up. And I've never seen it so graphically as in this little illustration. Father, I thank you this morning again for your presence with us. I thank you that you are always adequate to our needs. You are able to meet us in places that are so dark and bring us into the light. You know the journey that many of us have been on for a long time, the challenges that we've faced, the wrestlings that we've had, um, the difficulties in churches and families. Jesus, help us to see from your perspective, from your kingdom perspective, the right-side-up response to the most difficult times of life, even if it means facing death. You were aware of it. You take steps to help and to encourage and to give us what we need to walk through it. So Jesus, as we walk with you, even this week, may we remember that you walk with us. We never walk alone. When we wake up in the morning, we don't have to pray, God, help me today or be with me today because you already are. So God, help us to learn how to acknowledge the fact of your presence so that when we walk into thick, wa- thick troubles or, or deep waters, that we immediately know who to turn to and find the grace and the peace and everything else from your gracious hand to us. We love you, Jesus. We thank you for the time that we've been able to share today. May you be blessed in the way we live our lives this week as a result. I pray in your name, Jesus. Amen. I invite you to grab a coffee, stay, mingle, chat, get to know each other. If you see somebody new like myself, say hi, introduce yourself. Um, My caveat is that this leaks. So don't just say hello once with your name. Continue to do that for my benefit. Bless you as you go.